Church, I'd ask you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Perhaps you have a copy of God's Word. Perhaps you have one on your phone. Uh, We're going to be looking at a number of different texts today, but we will be mainly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I just want to thank Ms. Dawn and those who've led us in worship this morning for their excellent and Christ-exalting worship, preparing our hearts to hear the Word of God. As you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to read together the first 10 verses. read together. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And here's the gospel in two verses. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day according, in accordance with the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Would you pray with me? God, as we look to this story This story not only of the resurrection and what you did and how you conquered death and sin and rose from the grave, but how this story has to touch down in our lives just as it touched down in the life of Paul, a man who was was making a living persecuting the church of your son Jesus. And Lord, you saved him. You opened the eyes of his heart. You turned him around. You gave him a resurrection. And Father, today I pray that we would see the deep meaning of this this Easter day that we celebrate. That we would see the beauty of the resurrection. And that we would be people who ourselves have had this message touched down in our lives. That we would be people who have been raised to walk in newness of life through the power of the gospel. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Friends, what would cause the early believers to be willing to be crucified upside down? What would cause them to be willing to be boiled alive? And they could get out of it if they would simply deny Christ. They would simply say, no, I don't believe in His resurrection. What would cause them to be willing 
to go to the Colosseum to be fed to the lions. It was that they had seen the risen Lord. They saw, and and even here in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it reminds us that some 500 people at one time saw the resurrected Jesus. People don't have mass hallucinations, right? It's possible for an individual here or there to hallucinate, to see something that is not real. But 500 people at once, and apparently they believed it so deeply that they were willing to die for it because they saw the beauty of what it was. The resurrected Jesus. When I lived in South Carolina, something kind of funny happened. It was election season just a few years ago. And this particular year, the South Carolina Secretary of State was up for election. And strangely, he was being contested. Right? This is one of those elections that usually nobody runs against the guy because nobody knows what the position does. Nobody knows what the South Carolina Secretary of State is supposed to do. And so nobody really gets fired up about this election. But this year, there was a young guy. Actually, I knew him from college. And he was running against the sitting South Carolina Secretary of State. Now, this election wouldn't have been very interesting at all, except this year. Just a couple of weeks before everybody was supposed to go to the polls, something was discovered. It was discovered that the sitting Secretary of State, you see, he had one very important job, and that was every time that the state legislature passed a law, he was supposed to put this seal on it, okay? And apparently the law, legally, the law was not supposed to really be enforced until that seal was put on it, on the actual paper and filed in the archives or wherever they do that. Well, it was discovered that for the past couple of months and even the past couple of years, the South Carolina Secretary of State had not been putting the seal on those laws. And so there were all these laws that had been passed that maybe you know, these legal scholars are beginning to wonder, are, are these things even legal? Like, should the police even be enforcing these things? Because the South Carolina Secretary of State has not even put the seal on it. Right? They're not, they, they haven't been ratified. They haven't been confirmed. It hasn't been shown to be official yet because that seal is not on it. Now, this, this man, he quickly moved to fix this, right? He, he ran over there. He starts dragging these laws out and putting seals on them real quick right before the election so that he can say, ah, oh, we got the problem fixed. But the, this, has a, this illustration has a little touch point with the resurrection. If someone were to ask you, why does the resurrection matter, what would you say? If someone were to to ask you, why was the resurrection necessary, what's the big deal, right? Isn't the gospel that Jesus died for my sins and I believe in Him and that's it? Isn't that the end of it? Jesus died on the cross, I I placed my faith in Him and and now I'm saved. Doesn't it... Doesn't this just makes the resurrection just a neat little add-on at the end of the story? Right, That's a neat story. Jesus rose again from the grave. It's a neat little conclusion to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not by a long shot. The resurrection is the seal. It's the confirmation. It's like the, it's like the certificate of authenticity. It's placed on the finished work of Jesus. And without the resurrection, nothing that Jesus ever did would have any power at all. It would show him to be a liar. 
It would show him to just be another person spouting off opinions and trying to gather followers to himself. But because Jesus was raised again, his blood has power. His blood is in force. So here's the first point that we can see from the scriptures, really not just from 1 Corinthians 15, but from the entire Bible. It is this, and I've entitled this sermon, What the Resurrection Accomplished. Here's the first thing that it accomplished. The resurrection reverses the curse. The resurrection reverses the curse. Perhaps you know what curse I'm talking about. In the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day, as it were. But then they rebelled. They sinned against God and all kinds of brokenness, all kinds of curse. The curse of sin and death was ushered into the world by their sin and by their rebellion. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. What this meant for humanity is that death was now ushered in. There was no death before sin. Romans, the book of Romans reminds us that the wages of sin is death. So we know that there's, there's a real physical death that everyone dies. And there's also a spiritual death, a separation from God, this, this, this distance that comes in between us and God because of our sin. So a spiritual death occurred and a physical death will, will attend our life at some time. So in the resurrection, you see what Jesus is doing. He's rolling back this curse. By rising from the dead, he's saying, I am the one that can defeat death for you. I am the one who can defeat sin for you. Jesus, in the resurrection, by being raised again, is reversing the curse. Death is an enemy. I don't have to remind many of you of this. Perhaps even this year, you have lost someone very dear to you. Death is an enemy. It is an enemy because it is the consequence of sin. We weren't created to experience death, but because of our rebellion against God, our brokenness and our sin, it brought death onto the scene. And so now we have to ask the question, are we, are you still in Adam or are you in Christ? Because those are really the only two silos. Those are the only two categories. Either we still belong to our first parents, Adam and Eve, and we, and we live in their rebellion and we're enemies of God, or we have been brought from death to life. And we now live in Christ. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15 later in the chapter, beginning in verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says this, But in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man, Adam, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so if we're in Adam, if we're under Adam, if we're under our first father, Adam, we all die. We experience death. We also experience a spiritual death. As in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order. 
Christ is the first fruits. Then at the coming, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Look down at verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Do you see what, you see what Christ is doing in the resurrection? You see this? He's, he's saying, in effect, I'm reversing the ugly consequences of sin. I'm reversing the ugly consequences of death. And anybody who is in me gets to reap the benefits of that. Anybody who is in me gets to escape being in Adam. Doesn't have to be separated from God for eternity. Gets to have life now and have life abundantly. And then one day, those who die in Christ will be raised. Our loved ones who have passed away in Christ will be reunited with their bodies in the resurrection. Death will finally be defeated in full. We too will not be abandoned. Listen to this from 1 Corinthians 15 again. Later in the chapter, beginning in verse 52. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on the immortality, puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, and these are beautiful, beautiful words. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the resurrection, friends, it reverses the curse. The sin, the temptations that, that, that vie for your heart right now, that, that try to lure you away from God, those things will one day be put to death fully at the resurrection. But Jesus, by raising from the dead, has said that anyone who is in me, anyone who is in me, that, that curse will no longer have the final word over you if you place your faith in Christ. So, are you still in Adam? Or are you in Christ? Are you still under the curse of our first mom and dad? Or has that curse in your life been reversed? Secondly, the resurrection shows that Jesus is the true and better sacrifice. The resurrection shows that Jesus is the true and better sacrifice. You know, I don't know if you know about, I'm sure you do. You've had this experience in your life many times. When maybe you're about to go on a trip, and so you get online, and you look up pictures of where you're going, right? And you see a picture of it, you get, you get an idea of what it's going to be like when you get there. And then you get there, right? And being there is so much better than the picture, right? The picture could never do it justice. I remember in 2002, I, went to, I got to go to Australia. And I got to snorkel in the Great Barrier Reef. You know, you can see the Great Barrier Reef from outer space. It's incredible, right? And it's this colorful thing with all, all kinds of fish. Many are native to this area. And I had seen pictures of the Great Barrier Reef before. 
But then like getting down in the water, right, with my little goggles on and snorkel and my little underwater disposable camera, seeing it up close and personal, it was like, it was breathtaking. And the same thing, one time I was able to go to Machu Picchu in Peru. And I'd seen pictures of this. But when you're there, it's like you could fall off the edge of the world. As a matter of fact, we went one time with this lady who had a fear of heights and she stayed like in between me and the rock wall the whole time. And we just walked because it was like you could just, I mean, and people, every year people die because it just, it's like you're on top of the world and no picture can do it justice. No, no 4K high res picture can possibly give you a, a sense of, of how beautiful it is. In the Old Testament, God gave us a bunch of pictures to point toward the beauty of Christ, right? The pictures are okay. Christ is the real thing. These shadows kind of gave us an idea of what he's like, but then when Jesus comes, we get to see, when Jesus comes, we get to see the beauty of the real sacrifice. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned? They sin in Genesis chapter 3, and before Genesis chapter 3 is over, what has God done? He's already provided a way for them to be saved, right? They try to cover themselves. They try to cover their, their nakedness with, with fig leaves. But God says, your covering is not good enough. So what does he do? Before Genesis chapter 3 is over, he clothes them with skins of an animal. Friends, what had to happen for God to get skins of an animal? Something had to die. Blood had to be shed. So, for one time, God covered the sin of Adam and Eve with, by, by the shedding of blood. Abraham and Isaac, right? They're getting ready to go up on the mountain. The father is getting ready to go and obey God and sacrifice his own son. Remember what it says in Genesis and Abraham and Isaac are going up the hill? The father puts on the back of the son, the father puts wood on the back of the son and makes him carry it up the hill. Wouldn't be the last time in the Bible that the son had to carry some wood up the hill, right? But what happens when they get up to the top? There was a substitute. There was a ram caught in the thicket. Blood was shed. And guess what? Isaac got to go free. Adam and Eve got to go free because there was a substitute. There was blood that was shed. Isaac got to go free because there was a substitute and blood was shed. And then in the temple system, you see what happens in the temple system? Every day, the priests have to keep on killing lambs, right? To, to, to get blood shed to cover the sins of the people. But it says in the book of Hebrews that the blood of lambs and goats can never take away the sin of the world. So the people in Israel get to go free because blood was shed and there was a substitute. Are you seeing a pattern here? Friends, we get to go free because blood was shed by the true and better substitute, Jesus. We go free because He took the curse. I want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 9. You're welcome to turn there. Hebrews chapters 9 and 10. I think it would be helpful. Hebrews is kind of the last larger book in the New Testament before you get to Revelation at the very end. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. 
We'll read this together. Hebrews 9.22 Indeed, under the law almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies, right? The shadows, the pictures. It's like the picture of the Great Barrier Reef and then you get to see the real thing. It was necessary for the copies of the heavenly thing to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear at the presence of God on our behalf. Friends, Jesus now, because He is raised, He is able to sit at the right hand of the Father and to plead your case, just like a lawyer in a courtroom. He's able to say to God the Father, no, He doesn't go to hell, she doesn't go to hell, because they are with Me. They are no longer in Adam and Eve. They are in Christ. Look at verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus doesn't get a ram caught in the thicket. Jesus doesn't get some sacrificial lamb. Jesus doesn't get the skins of an animal. He offered Himself. He is the true and better sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 4 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, let's, let me level with you. I know that nobody here today is trusting in the blood of bulls and goats to make you right before God. But many of us are trusting in something. Many of us are trusting in our good works or our church membership or our pedigree or where we're from or who we are or something like that. None of that is good enough. Only the blood of Jesus makes us okay with God. It says in Hebrews 10, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same old sacrifices which he can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, he sat down. Why did the priest stand? The priests stand all the time because their job is never done. But why did Christ sit down? Because as he himself said on the cross, it is finished. He was enough. His blood is the only thing that can make proper satisfaction before God. The resurrection is the seal. It is the proof that Jesus, just, Jesus was not just a one-time sacrifice. He wasn't like the one-time sacrifice for Adam and Eve, the skins, right? It, it took care of their sin for the moment. It wasn't like the ram caught in the thicket. It let Isaac off that one time. It wasn't like the temple sacrifices where they have to keep doing it every day and every year. Jesus offered a one-time sacrifice because He was good enough. And I want to prove it to you. If you look at Revelation chapter 5. I know we're all over the Bible. The reason we're all over the Bible is because the resurrection is all over the Bible. Revelation chapter 5. This is John. He's, he's looking into heaven. He's seeing a lot of incredible things. 
And look at this, this beautiful, beautiful picture. Friends, I hope you see the beauty of this. Revelation 5, beginning of verse 1. Then I saw at the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on its back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? So they're looking for someone good enough. They're looking for someone who's holy enough to, to open up this scroll that tells about the plans of God and His plan moving forward. And look, it says in verse 3, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and look into it. Nobody was good enough. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seals. So they found one. They found somebody who's good enough to open the scroll and to advance God's plan. They found somebody and they say that he's a lion. So if I'm John, I'm going to look up and wipe the tears off of my eyes and I'm going to expect to see a lion. Look what it says. Verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Friends, the lion, the one who conquers, is a lamb. It's a sacrifice. You notice what it said? It said that it, he was standing as though he had been slain. You could imagine the blood coming down the neck of this lamb. How could a sacrifice be standing if it had been slain? The very same way that our sacrifice, our substitute, the blood that was poured out from Jesus, he was really killed and he was really raised. And it's only because of the resurrection. It's only because He is who He says He is. It's only because He was slain but then stood that He can be the perfect Lamb for us. So friends, I ask you the same question. Are you with that Lamb? Are you on His team? Or are you still under Adam? The resurrection confirms, lastly, that forgiveness of sins is real. Forgiveness for sins is real. Look at 1 Corinthians. If you still got a hand in 1 Corinthians 15, this will be the last, this will be the last thing that we consider together. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. Just one verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. I'm trying to show my math here, right? We're looking at a lot of Bible because I want to show you that what I'm saying is in here. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. In other words, it's worthless. And you are still in your sins. Friends, the reality is this. Jesus underwent a resurrection then so that you can undergo a resurrection now. Do you see that? We have a picture of this every time we have a baptism. You know what baptism pictures? Preachers a lot of times say this. Buried with Christ 
in the likeness of His death, raised to walk in new life. How do you know if you're with this Lamb? How do you know if you're in Christ or if you're still in Adam? If you're in Christ, you have been raised to walk. Christ has changed you. He has made you hate your sin. He has made you want to run away from it and run to Jesus. Raised to walk in new life. Jesus underwent a resurrection then, 2,000 years ago, so that you can undergo a resurrection today. So that you, too, can be raised to walk in newness of life. Uh, My teaching this morning from the Bible has had to do with what the resurrection does for you. But there's also another question. What are you going to do with the resurrection? We've looked at what the resurrection has done for you, what Jesus has offered you in rising from the dead. He wants to be the true and better sacrifice. He doesn't want you to be in Adam. He wants you to be in Christ. He wants you to be with the lion, with the lamb, because that lamb, though slain, stands because he is the only one who can take away sin. How amazing would it be today to say that on Easter Sunday morning, the morning when we gather to celebrate the resurrection, that God caused a resurrection in your heart. How amazing would that be? I pray that today, if you are here and for the first time you've heard this message and for the first time it has seemed beautiful to you, you've heard about the pictures, but now you see the reality and that reality looks beautiful to you and you're concerned. You're concerned that you're still in Adam, but today you want to be with the Lamb. Today you want to be in Christ. I have good news for you. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But he says something else. He says another I am statement. You ready for this? He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. Friends, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. I don't know how this message, how this message of the resurrection of the risen Jesus, I don't know how it hits you, but I do know this. It demands a response from each and every one of us. We all end up doing something with the resurrection. What have you done with the resurrection today? In a moment, I'm going to pray. Miss Dawn is going to come down here and going to play some music, and there's going to be some response. This morning, we're going to sing all four verses of our response. So there's going to be plenty of time, even if you're up in, in overflow and you would like to come down and talk to me, and you're like, hey, Greg, I, I recognize this morning, I, I, I'm not in. I'm in, I'm in Adam. I'm not with the Lamb. I, I haven't ever been brought from death to life. I see that Jesus had a resurrection, and today I want to experience a resurrection. I want to place my faith in Him. I want to turn away from my sin and away from myself, and I want to turn toward Christ. I will say, today, I'm going to ask you to do something very bold. In a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to stand. When I ask, when I ask you to stand, I'm just going to ask you to slip out and come talk to me and ask, how can I begin a relationship with Jesus today? How can I make sure that I am in Christ and I'm no longer in Adam? I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to respond together. I'll be available here for you. Let's pray.
God, you're so good to us. You show your goodness to us in not leaving us to our own devices. You've given us everything that we need. You haven't left us alone. Lord, you would have been totally justified if you had never sent Jesus. That would have been totally right because we rebelled against you. But you in your love, in your love for us, you took on flesh yourself. You, be, you became a man. God became a man. He lived the perfect life that we failed to live. You, Jesus, died the death that we deserved and then you rose again three days later to show how seriously you meant it. To, to defeat sin and to turn away the curse so that the wrath of God would no longer be directed toward us but could be poured out on the Lamb, on your very own Son, Jesus. Thank you, God, for the blood. Thank you for the substitute so that we get to go free. God, I ask you boldly, if there's anyone here today in this room, if there's anyone here today up in, up in the fellowship hall in Overflow who needs to do business with you today, I beg of you, would you prompt them? Would you push them? Would you draw them to yourself? Would you tug at their hearts so that they could come down and talk to me about how to begin a relationship with Jesus? Would you do it? God, we ask in the name of Christ. Amen.